0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Don Guerra.
3: And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll.
2: Later in the program, we have a few minutes with the mayor a weekly segment where Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton answers questions on community issues. In today's segment, Mayor Hamilton discusses results from the 2020 Census, the 2022 budget hearings, and more. That's coming up in today's feature report.
3: Also, in the next half hour, you will hear from participants of this year's Pride Fest, which took place on Saturday. That's coming up during a new edition of Voices in the Street public opinion polls in the streets of Bloomington. But first, your daily headlines.
2: At the August 27th COVID-19 press conference, Mayor John Hamilton discussed Bloomington's rising COVID-19 rates. He shared that Monroe County is among the lowest counties in the state, In relation to cases per 100,000 residents?
1: Our state, um, in June, we had two or three hundred cases per day. In June, it is now three or four thousand cases per day, and the last three days have been around five thousand cases. Just to repeat that, in June, it was two or three hundred cases a day reported in the state. It is now three or four thousand running average in the last three days, 5,000 cases. Hospitalizations have gone from below 400 statewide to now over 2,000. Deaths have also substantially
4: increased.
2: Health Administrator Penny Caudill updated the press on issues surrounding vaccines. She promoted the official approval of the Pfizer vaccine, and she highlighted that the new name for the vaccine is which has been causing some confusion.
0: So what's the difference between a third dose that we just talked about for the immunocompromised and a booster? Essentially, the third dose for the people who were uh, have compromised immune systems is because they may not have developed adequate immunity to begin with. So this third dose should give them that added protection and increase their immune response. The booster doses that people are talking about are intended for people who did finish their uh, series of vaccine, whether it was one or two doses, they developed an, an immune response, but over time that immune response has started to wane and this Booster dose or this additional dose of vaccine would then increase um, their protection again. So there is a difference. Uh, Booster doses are not yet approved, and we will be ready to address that when those are approved and we know exactly what that looks like.
2: Kirk White, co chair of Indiana University Bloomington's COVID response unit, shared that there are 58 cases of COVID on campus at IU Bloomington. He also said they have a 91.4% vaccination rate. Brian Shockney, president of IU Health, mirrored the message that Indiana University has been doing a good job at mitigating COVID-19 cases. We don't realize how important in the gym we have here in Indiana University and the leadership at Indiana University that has uh, protected the healthcare system. Um, It's not the case across the nation and they have cared for their own. They have insured vaccine. And when they have sick uh, individuals and students, they have isolated them and provided care for them. Uh, And that is not the usual case. And so uh, the least of our worries are the Indiana University Bloomington students and faculty. Our biggest worries are community citizens who are not vaccinated. Due to an increase in COVID-19 cases, meetings will officially be weekly instead of bi-weekly to keep the public up to date. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held on September 3rd.
3: The Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission discussed a home on West Kirkwood Avenue. At the August 26 meeting, Historic Preservation Program Manager Gloria Colum introduced plans to make renovations to a home in the near West Side Conservation District. She said city staff approved the COA, but that the new West Side Design Review Committee had additional concerns with the windows.
0: The second question from the Design Review Committee Secondly, I would like to see more information concerning the proposed window replacement. The windows shown as an example do not fit the house. Having three over one glazing, the original windows, if they are what we see in the photos, are one over one glazed windows. I know we cannot say don't replace. However, we do need to be looking at whether this house would meet guidelines if the neighborhood becomes a full historic district.
3: Commissioner Chris Sterbaum asked the petitioner about the condition of the wood siding. He suggested that the siding underneath windows might be worth keeping.
2: I've just done a lot of these. And. Almost always, ninety percent of the wood is okay beneath it. I just did one, just finished, and we took all this off. In fact, it had it had uh, asbestos siding, which we removed. And by replacing maybe five five percent, it was scraped and painted, and all the all the wood details are there. The g- you know, there'll be wood up in these gables like wide pieces there, these probably had Victorian details on them on the corners, but the the porch has been changed. But I think you're going to find that the siding may be better than
3: you think. Commissioners approved the COA unanimously.
2: The Community Advisory on Public Safety Commission discussed leadership roles at its August 26th meeting. Commissioner Nicole Johnson recommended that commissioners rotate through officer roles each week. She suggested that roles are assigned to new commissioners at the end of each meeting.
0: With that presence, I believe that's once that we see who shows up. Now, we can pre-pick a facilitator, obviously, because they need to be able to connect with city staff. You know what I mean, the week before. So we would we would pick these people for the following week. They would know their position for the following week. And that was it. That's it.
2: Commissioner Neja Rootsong suggested scheduling the rotation out in advance. She said commissioners are not always keen to volunteer for officer roles, so scheduling would help make sure each commissioner performs the role.
0: Because what I'm concerned about is also from my previous commission experience, I don't think we're going to have people... Uh, loudly volunteer to take these jobs, and so my my only my other thing for fairness would be we would be required to do this, and um, I I would suggest that maybe for planning purposes and to avoid like Renee was saying where people aren't going to be here and that's going to be why they'd never do it, um, we for planning purposes maybe we have this all planned out in advance in the year and we say this month here's going to do it and we all either agree to be there do with that. You know, month. And if we can't, we let Becky know, and maybe she can find someone else.
2: Commissioner Renee Miller moved to have a work session on September ninth to continue discussion on establishing bylaws for the caps Commission. Commissioners agreed.
3: Up next, we have a new edition of Voices in the Street, public opinion polls on the streets of Bloomington. In today's segment, WFHB speaks with participants of the 2021 Pride Fest, which happened over the weekend. We turn to Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky-Schneider for more.
5: Welcome to Voices in the Street, WFHB's weekly public opinion feature. Voices in the Street provides an opportunity for people in our community to share their opinions and perspectives on the issues and events that matter most to Bloomington residents.
4: During sweltering heat on Saturday, Pride Fest took place in downtown Bloomington after happening virtually last year.
3: PrideFest is an annual street festival organized by Bloomington Pride, a nonprofit organization that advocates for the LGBTQIA community.
4: The festival featured a vendor expo, workshops with activists and experts, live music, drag shows, and NPG wrestling.
3: WFHB Community Radio was a vendor at this year's PrideFest. We set up three microphones and interviewed participants at the festival.
4: We asked folks what brought them to PrideFest and what the festival means to them. Here's what they had to say.
3: Pride Fest um, is honestly a celebration of being happy and being who you truly are. Gay is a synonym for happy after all. It is a time where you can be unapologetically, truly yourself, Um, no judgment. You can be in this fancy outfit. You can just show up very muted. There is absolutely no judgment and it is honestly a safe place for everyone. It started as a riot and I definitely like um, how we've sort of continued on with this trend of celebrating um, the events that happened at Stonewall and saying, hey, we are here, we are queer and we're not going anywhere.
0: I love it. I love the vibes here. It's just so great, so fun. Love everything about it. I'm um, just seeing like everybody out and everybody here supporting everybody. It's just so great to see.
2: Pride has always been about pushing the boundaries. It's always been uh, about um, celebrating the progress that we've made. I think the, the future of the LGBT community is our youth. and. I think it's important that we support the young people as they push those boundaries and seek to really be who they are.
4: Well, um, well, I came out in 2019 and that um, ever since I came out of the closet, um, I am openly gay now and I just, I love pride and everything that has to do with it because it's just, it makes it makes me feel normal, you know? Cause it's very hard in this time of days and especially with COVID and with uh, everything going on. It just, being back at Pride, just makes me feel like myself, my true self. I feel lots of love in the air right now in support. I haven't felt this in over a year <laughs> due to COVID. Um, I would say so much love and acceptance, um, especially, like I think it's just a little glimmer of light in what's going on in our world
0: right now. Pride has meant a lot of different things over the years. Obviously, when I first was you know, discovering that I was bi, like as an adult, uh, just learning how to become comfortable almost through like immersion therapy of just being around all these people. Now
4: it's honestly, it's more about supporting others. I think Pride Festival in Bloomington is you know, is super important just for connection and celebration of who we are. But I think it is particularly important in a place like Indiana, which is a red state, which is a conservative state, um, that there's actually a lot of us here that, uh, that need safe spaces to be able to celebrate and be open. Um, this is still really crucial and important in a place like this. Um, and it's important to me personally, because uh i'm always seeking places where liberation is at the forefront and that's something that's really difficult to find
0: it's really wonderful i really am happy to be in community with other uh, queer folk again and getting to see people in person uh, seeing yourself others who um, share aspects of your identity that you can be in solidarity with and um, not feel marginalized finding like meaning and joy in who you are and sharing that with other people. You know, Pride Fest, it's important to support, to, uh, even even in the heat, show up. You know, that's what's important.
4: Pride Fest is basically a way to support everyone and who they are and not feel... Discouraged. Everyone's together. It's not like you're being criticized for who you are. Personally, it's amazing because it feels like I'm finally being understood of who I really am. And everyone around me supports it.
5: This has been Voices in the Street, WFHB's weekly public opinion segment featuring candid commentary from your friends and neighbors on the issues and events that matter most to Bloomington residents. Voices in the Street is a volunteer-powered production of our News and Public Affairs Department here on WFHB 91.3 and 98.1 FM, community radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Now it's time for A Few Minutes with the Mayor, a weekly segment where we pose questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton on community issues. In today's segment, Mayor Hamilton discusses results from the 2020 census, the 2022 budget hearings and more. We turn to Jake Jacobson, who conducted that interview.
5: Community members and volunteers at WFHB pose questions for Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about local current events. Today, on a few minutes with the mayor, Mayor John Hamilton answers some of those questions. Mayor Hamilton, last time we spoke, you mentioned wanting to talk about the census. And since you mentioned that to me, I noticed that several members of county and city councils and boards and commissions have also talked about it. It seems like a lot of people in the county think the census reported incorrect numbers. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Well, the census is very important. Of course, it's done every 10 years. It's part of our Constitution, and and it determines a lot of things. uh, so we are very concerned that the 2020 census is not accurate in a word. Um, you know, it was done in the midst of a pandemic. It was done right after tens of thousands of college students were told to go home and shut in the shut in the doors of the university. And so and some of the data, I haven't dug into the data myself, but I've seen reports that there's some just very anomalous things like a, a census tract that had a 50 percent reduction in population or something which does not comport with what we know is happening on the ground so um, we're very concerned about it uh, it's a big it's a big enterprise and and thing to deal with so we're starting to try to understand our options to assure a, a better count there, I just don't think there's any way that we would think it's accurate that this, the population of Bloomington has actually declined in the last 10 years. All the evidence from other sources of information and, and what we see on the ground suggests the
5: opposite. What are some of those other sources of information that you look at when you are trying to decide the accuracy of the census count?
1: Well, sure. Um, and I'm, I don't pretend to be an expert in the census, but sure. first of all, over the last nine years, the estimates that the Census Bureau itself has done uh, as they looked at things, and they and they look at a lot of things, things like, oh, I, I, I guess benefit levels, income level changes, um, uh, school enrollments, um, property development, uh, uh, rental lists, uh, there's all kinds of things you would look at, school enrollments, all that. You know, there are all kinds of things you would look at, all of which it suggested during the, you know, the, the, the decade of the teens that Bloomington was growing. And all the evidence we've seen is, indeed, that we were, and that I suppose the With the theory that the simplest explanation is often correct, the simplest explanation is it was a census done when a whole bunch of residents had been told to leave. So the response rate was low. People had left. And um, we just we're going to try to figure out how we can try to make sure we get an accurate number reported.
5: You mentioned that the pandemic, obviously a, a big disruptor of the of the actual census process. Um, You mentioned that IU had sent a lot of people home. If I recall, uh, there was kind of a big movement on one specific side of the political spectrum to kind of have people ignore the census entirely. Do you think that had a big effect on the census in general, or at least specifically like the census in Bloomington? Or do you feel like it's more along the lines of IU sent all of its students home, we were in the middle of a pandemic, stuff like that? Well, I really don't know.
1: I mean, I think it's, you know, census are they're complicated, uh, they're important, but I don't know what might have caused. Uh, we're kind of speculating, and of course there's some obvious potential causes, but in the end we need to try to do all that we can to help the national government get an accurate picture of how many people are living in Bloomington, because it affects our funding formulas and, and various things. We have a, a little time, I think, till the impact hits, but we're taking it very seriously and we will be collaborating with others who have similar concerns, I think.
5: So that was going to be my last follow-up too, was I know a big issue with the census numbers is that it affects funding. Can you talk about some of the ways in which maybe a an incorrectly lower census number would affect funding in Bloomington?
1: Well, some obvious ways are through our housing and neighborhood development, which gets federal money, community development, block grant money, and home money, which are over a million dollars a year, um, that could be adjusted based upon population figures. Um, I think there's a whole, whole slew of other factors in federal government uh, formulas, in state formulas that can be affected by your... Uh, by your population count, so it, it it really can pervade a lot of different things in sometimes subtle ways too. I'm sure, but um, so so the stakes are are real, and we're going to be working h- hard to do all we can to get an accurate count. We we don't want we don't want more people than we have, but we want to be sure we're counting accurately those right. that we do have living here.
5: Last week, the city council had its big week of of budget hearings. And this is the first step of of a longer process. Um, now that those first five days are down, um, and I know that you were not involved in every day of the budget hearings, but, uh, how do you feel about how those budget hearings have been going so far?
1: Well, it's always a busy week. As you say, once a year we do that, it's kind of actually halfway through the budget process. We started in April. Um, with working with council and sharing ideas and listening to ideas. And we've had back and forth, uh, since then, May, June, July, all through and then into August. And, uh, last week, we had four nights where, uh, all of our 16 department heads and uh, presented proposed budgets for 2022 to get feedback. Um, it's
5: always a long, long week and council spent 20 hours or something uh, right. on that. And, and, um, I think we,
1: we've, as I described the budget the first night, it's really two main things um, this year. First is Recover Forward is, is really trying to deal with um, the continued impact of the pandemic and the economic recession and the challenges that so many people are facing and using the Federal Rescue Plan Act money, the ARPA money, to help try to invest in, in that recovery. And then the second big emphasis is really public safety is investing. Substantially, in new positions and new efforts in public safety, and both of those, both of those items, not surprisingly, got you know got some attention, and I think we'll continue to have dialogue with the council about that.
5: In what ways has the budget sort of process changed, at least on your end, um, by having access to this ARPA money for the next you know four potential years? Oh, it's a game changer I mean if we did not have the American Rescue plan
1: act the federal money which 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 was significantly larger than the cares Act last year funding if we did not have that money we would be in a world of hurt at the at the local budget level um, we have serious demands on us we lost revenue last year and this year um, the federal money is a lifesaver I mean it, it's helped us not only just sustain what we're doing but actually try to that say, as we say, build back better, recover forward, really invest in the more affordable housing. Now's a good time to do that, to invest in new jobs, helping people get back into the jobs market, investing in public infrastructure, which helps support our quality of life, but also helps support jobs for folks. And it's,
5: it's a real game changer. A big topic around, I would argue, the first two days of city council budget hearings was around the Bloomington Police Department budget, namely that the BPD salaries don't match up well with other police departments in the state. Uh, Ultimately, the city council actually voted against that proposed budget. What are your thoughts on just that entire situation, I suppose? (laughs) Well, I'm very proud
1: of our Bloomington Police Department. Uh, It's a terrific uh, group of men and women who protect us every day, and they're highly trained, and they're highly professional, and they're highly sought after. Um, It's no surprise that both in our department and actually across the country, police departments are having difficulty recruiting and retaining officers um, over the last several years, it's been challenging, uh, in some ways to recruit. It's been, as, as police departments evolve and ours has been a national leader in, in evolution from social workers to body cams, to, uh, all kinds of things like that 21st century policing report, um, we're continuing to work closely. Um, you know, our, our, the pay of our police officers, just so people know, is negotiated through a labor agreement that we do uh, with with the police union uh, that represents them, and that that was concluded. And this coming year is the last year of the of the um, agreed upon contract, and we're expecting to negotiate. Um, We're continuing to try to help the police department evolve and the whole public safety effort evolve as they've done so well to deal with new challenges. And, you know, uh, I remind people the first job of a mayor is really protecting public safety. That's a fundamental thing, and I'm committed to that. And I know our police department is and our police chief and and our council, and I'm confident we'll work out a, a way to keep moving forward. We have one of the finest police in the state if not the country and our goal is to keep it that way
5: do you have questions for mayor john hamilton send them in an email to news at wfhb.org titled questions for the mayor for wfhb i'm jake jacobson
3: Been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider and Jake Jacobson in partnership with Cats, Community Access Television Services. Our Feature was produced by Jake Jacobson.
2: Voices in the Street was produced by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra.
3: And I'm Nikki Stewart Ingersoll. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer powered, listener supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org.
2: You can be part of our award winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay
3: tuned for With Good Reason making scholarly research accessible to all. Coming up next on WFHB.
4: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio.